AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 102 of AFF On Air. It's the 10th of June 2023. Have you ever wondered how airline alliances or hotel loyalty programs work behind the scenes? Well, wonder no more because later in this episode, I'll be joined by an expert in loyalty programs, former Malaysia Airlines and Rich CEO and current StatusMatch.com CEO Mark Ross-Smith for a chat about the world of airline alliances. We'll find out what airlines need to do to join an alliance such as One World, Star Alliance or Sky Team, what the cost and benefits are for airlines, and what happens if an airline wants to leave the alliance. In our chat, we'll also talk about priority boarding, Qantas lifetime status, the strange relationship between Qantas and Qatar Airways, the latest airline status matching trends and more. If you're interested in how loyalty programs work, I'm sure you'll find it an interesting discussion. But first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest Australian airline travel and loyalty program news since our last episode. And firstly, Qantas will make a major change to its domestic lounge access guesting rules next week. From the 15th of June, all guests brought into domestic Qantas club and business lounges will need to be flying on the same day with Qantas or an eligible partner airline like Jetstar. This means you'll no longer be able to bring guests into domestic lounges who are not flying or who are flying with other airlines like Virgin or Rex. There is a slight improvement coming, though, for Qantas Club members accessing Qantas International Business Lounges. They'll soon be able to bring in a guest travelling on a any Qantas or partner airline flight rather than just on the same Qantas flight. Velocity Frequent Flyer has launched a new logo and brand campaign with a new tagline, Velocity Means Fast. To celebrate, Velocity has made a million extra domestic economy reward seats available to book until the 18th of June. There's also some good and bad news in terms of domestic economy reward seat pricing. Rather than just one fixed price for domestic economy reward seats booked using Velocity Points, there are now three tiers. Tier 2 pricing is the same as the previous pricing, while Tier 1 awards are around 20% cheaper, making them um, require less points than you would need when using Qantas points to book a Jetstar flight. But from the 5th of July, Velocity will also implement Tier 3 pricing, which is around 20-25% to more expensive than the current Tier 2 pricing. Tier 3 awards will be available on flights that are in higher demand, for example during peak periods. From the 5th of July, Velocity Gold and Platinum members using their annual guaranteed reward seat for a family holiday benefit will also have to pay the higher Tier 3 pricing. But there are no changes to domestic business class reward seats or to international or partner airline redemptions at this stage. Luxury Escapes will end its partnership with Qantas Frequent Flyer at the end of this month, switching instead to Velocity Frequent Flyer. Qantas is also ending its partnerships with Intrepid Travel and Chimu Adventures, meaning that you'll no longer be able to earn Qantas points from the 21st of June with those partners. Meanwhile, Velocity Frequent Flyer ended its partnership last month with the ride-sharing service Ola. Qantas will revamp its boarding process from October with the introduction of boarding groups. The airline says that this will improve on-time performance and better recognise tiered frequent flyers in response to customer feedback. 
In preparation for the change, Qantas will begin trialling the new boarding procedure later this month at Brisbane's domestic terminal. Passengers eligible for priority boarding will still be able to board at any time, but there will be also four boarding groups based on the location of your seat on the aircraft. Qantas passengers travelling on international flights operated by two specific aircraft types can now access free Wi-Fi while the plane is flying over the Australian continent. Qantas has switched on Wi-Fi on its international flights that are operated by Boeing 737-800 and short-haul configured Airbus A330-200 planes. 737s are used on all flights from Australia to Bali and to Port Moresby, and the short-haul configured A330-200s are often found on the Perth to Singapore and Sydney to Jakarta routes, although that's not guaranteed. Wi-Fi is not available on other aircraft types, though, with Qantas, including Airbus A330-300s and and the A330-200s, which are configured for long-haul operations, and most of Qantas's flights to Asia are um, operated by those planes. Meanwhile, Singapore Airlines has just announced that all passengers in all classes of travel on all of its flights will be able to access free Wi-Fi from next month. Both Virgin Australia and Qantas will introduce real-time baggage tracking in their smartphone apps from later this year. Virgin was the first to announce it and Qantas followed a couple of weeks later. This is already something that's used by most of the US airlines. Rex will add two new Boeing 737 routes in the next couple of months with the introduction of Sydney to Adelaide flights from the 29th of June and Melbourne to Hobart from 17 August. It comes as Rex comes under fire for leaving passengers stranded in the Western Australian town of Carnarvon after skipping a scheduled stop in Monkey Mia. Rex left the passengers, including a minor, stuck in Carnarvon, 350 kilometres away from their destination, with no warning, no alternative transport options provided, and no compensation. And this is just one of many stories, unfortunately, from recent years that have led the ACCC to join Choice in calls for the Australian government to consider a mandatory compensation scheme in this country that would require airlines to pay cash compensation to customers who are disrupted by delays or cancellations caused by factors within the airline's control. There are already similar schemes in place in Europe and Canada, which have proven to be quite effective in making airlines more accountable, and they haven't led to a a drastic rise in airfares either. On Friday, Canberra Airport CEO Stephen Byron joined the chorus of calls for a compensation scheme, claiming that Qantas was cancelling multiple flights per day between Canberra and Sydney in an attempt to squat slots at Sydney Airport. The CEO of Canberra Airport pointed out that Virgin Australia had not been cancelling flights to the same scale that Qantas had been, but Qantas refuted these claims, saying that the cancellations were a result of air traffic controller shortages at Sydney Airport. Woolworths will devalue its everyday extra subscription program from the 1st of July, increasing the subscription price while decreasing the benefits. From next month, Everyday Extra members will only be able to redeem the monthly 10% discount when shopping at Woolworths or Big W in-store rather than online. Members will also only receive double Everyday Rewards points on their shopping instead of the current triple points. Woolworths is also making changes to its delivery unlimited subscriptions and is removing the option for Woolworths Mobile and Everyday Insurance customers to redeem their monthly discount online as well. If you'd like to redeem your Qantas points to fly in business class to Singapore, 
it has been quite hard lately. There's been very few uh, Qantas redemption seats available to Singapore in recent times. But British Airways, Qantas's uh, One World Partner airline, currently has pretty good award availability on its route from Sydney to Singapore. You can get up to six business class seats on, on quite a few dates over the next year. Um, which you can book using Qantas Points, British Airways Avios, or any other One World uh, frequent flyer program. And you can also get up to six redemption seeds on many dates in premium economy. Qantas has announced a major expansion to its international flying from October this year. As well as increasing flights to North America, Asia and New Zealand, Qantas will launch new routes from Brisbane to Wellington and Brisbane to Honiara using Embraer E190s, and those are both old Virgin Australia routes that haven't returned yet. It will also finally resume the Sydney to Shanghai service, one of the last remaining international routes that Qantas does intend to resume, but hadn't yet resumed following the pandemic comes as China has just recently opened up, of course. Sydney to Tokyo will go double daily from November with a daytime and nighttime flight in both directions, meaning you'll have a daytime option from Asia to Australia on Qantas, which will be nice. Melbourne and Brisbane to Tokyo, meanwhile, will also both go to daily services with flights moving from Haneda to Narita Airport. And it will mean that Qantas from November will fly four times a day to Tokyo. In perhaps the most interesting change, though, Qantas will wet lease two Airbus A330s from Finnair to use on the Sydney to Singapore and Sydney to Bangkok routes. Those planes will have Finnair seating and will be operated by Finnair crew, but will have Qantas meals and service provided on board. Batik Air Malaysia will add some competition for Air New Zealand on the Perth to Auckland route from the 24th of August this year with a Boeing 737 MAX service it's running six days a week. And Virgin Australia will launch its new Cairns to Tokyo Haneda route later this month. The airline plans to eventually use its new Boeing 737 MAXs to fly on the route, but due to delivery delays from Boeing, Virgin hasn't yet actually received any of those new planes. In the meantime, in order to start the route on the advertised date, which Virgin must do in order to retain its slots at Haneda Airport, Virgin will use Boeing 737-700s as a short-term measure for the 7.5-hour flights. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news, tips, tricks and updates straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday. If you're not already an Australian Frequent Flyer member, you're missing out on participating in Australia's largest online discussion forum for Frequent Flyers. The AFF Community Forum is a goldmine of useful resources on travel, loyalty programs, credit cards and so much more. You can learn and ask questions about frequent flyer points, discover unique travel tips by reading our members' trip reports, or even find a great wine deal. By becoming an Australian Frequent Flyer member, you don't just get to participate in our lively forums. You can also send messages to other AFF members, access exclusive AFF offers and services, and you'll see fewer advertisements when browsing the site. And the best part, joining AFF is 100% free. If you're not already a member, visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au forward slash register. My guest today is a loyalty industry veteran who's been on the podcast a few times before. Mark Ross-Smith is a former CEO of the Malaysia Airlines Enriched Loyalty Program and now runs statusmatch.com. Welcome back to the AFF on Air podcast, Mark. 
Hello, Matt. It's great to be back. What are we, round three now? Four? I think it's about round four. Uh, I'd have to go back and have a look, but you have been on a few times before sharing your insights about loyalty programs, so it's really nice to have you back. And today I want to talk a little bit about alliances. But to start with, I have a question about hotels and hotel loyalty programs, since I know that you you also have a little bit of a background here and, and know a little bit about the subject. And that is, why do airline, uh, sorry, why do hotels decide to be part of a chain like a core or like you know be affiliated with Hilton or Marriott or IHG or one of those, rather than just being an independent hotel? Uh, probably the same reasons that you want to be part of an airline alliance. Like the big ticket items are generally going to get more bookings and a higher quality bookings, so like a higher ADR, which is the average daily rate. That's one of the big metrics hotels go by uh, because you're bringing in a, an existing audience. So if you're part, if you're going to be part of, say, a, a Hilton, you know, you're, you're then cashing in on all the premium travelers that Hilton Honors has, and they're suddenly going to consider staying at this new Hilton-branded hotel when otherwise they might not have because they're in it for the points, the status benefits, the upgrades, the free breakfast, the lounge, et cetera, et cetera. So you get, you're you going to attract a totally new audience to your hotel brand. So that can be pretty attractive as being part of Alliance. Um, you know, it, it, in some ways it can increase the brand standards for a hotel or, the, you know, the SOPs that they have internally. When, to be fair, it could be good or bad, depending on how your hotel's offering prior to being a chain. Uh, but, you know, in, in general, in theory, you have more support because you've got a a brand you can go to for different stuff. You've got them doing a bit of marketing and promotions they can bring to you. And it's just, it's just tapping into a new audience that otherwise may not have ever considered staying with your brand. So obviously there's some costs involved um, to being part of a hotel program. Like you've got to pay to you know, issue points, I assume. Like what, what are some of those costs? And like do many hotels find that to be worthwhile? Yeah, there's definitely costs. Um, I mean, the biggest cost, you've got to rebrand a lot of stuff. You know, so it's not obviously you got, you know, the name of the hotel, you got a you got the whole loyalty program offering layer on top of that. You've got little things like the sign at check in, you've got to have the little priority check in for gold member, you know. Like there's a lot of stuff that goes along with that. It's not not a cheap exercise. Uh you've got the cost of points, you've got um effectively, which is kind of like a royalty of sorts, you've got to pay back to the brand for all sorts of different stuff. Um, kind of like a think of it like a franchise fee. Mm-hmm. Is, is that kind of in there you, you still pay for bookings that come directly through the brand um, you pay less than what an ota would typically charge you and in theory you get a higher quality customer um so you've got you know a bunch of costs there probably the biggest cost is you've got to then service a bunch of new elite members that are staying with your brand so if you're you know decent size hotel and suddenly you've got a hundred diamond members staying with you where previously they would never have thought to stay with you on one hand you're getting the revenue from them but on the other hand you've got to service them as a diamond guest which might mean you're giving out 100 free breakfasts or 200 to be able to room 200 free breakfasts a day so there's there's a cost there you know you've got if you've got a lounge in the hotel suddenly you've got a couple hundred people every day hitting your lounge between 5 and 7 p.m and what you know there's a cost there um, upgrades, you know, you might be displacing some revenue depending on the type of brand. Like, there's definitely costs, but the, there's, a, there's a lot of good things that come with it because you're just going to attract a totally new audience to the, to the brand. Yeah, make, makes sense. And so I guess if we then look at airlines and why airlines join alliances, is it 
a similar kind of story as to like the costs involved and the return for the airline and what they get out of joining an alliance? Yeah, more or less. I mean, the biggest thing is just get more traffic. More people are going to consider flying with you. You've, you know, if you join lines, you've effectively got to go out and do, a, you know, what, 10, 15, 20, 30 new FFP agreements with other airlines. Brands pretty pretty fast. So you've instantly got a big chunk of new earner burn partners. Um, you know, it's easier to do co-chairs and stuff like that. You obviously got to service those members. So you're going to have a bunch of new folks in your airline lounge. Uh, depending on the alliance, there might be some fees that flow back and forth on that. Um, you know, from a loyalty perspective, there's effectively four flows of revenue when you when you join an alliance, and they account for different things. Um, five if you include lounge on top of that. Um, but it can be it can be pretty beneficial. Obviously, the the bigger your airline, the more you benefit from it. Um, the smaller, you know, the, the less you'll benefit. But overall, it's it's a good thing. The big thing with airlines is if you've got a elite from another another airline flying on you, you you're not going to get ancillary revenue from that 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 gold member, right? They're not going to pay for seats. Probably not going to pay for seat selection. You're giving them free bags. Um, you got lounge access, priority boarding, you know, all these kinds of things. But generally, these people spend more. Like there's a high yield on status customers. We've well, there is we've seen this for decades. You know, they tend to spend more. They tend to book closer into the, like the booking window is shorter. So they'll book, you know, fly within, you know, days or a week, which just means they're paying more for the fare. Great customer. So there's, there's pros and cons, but overall I think it's generally more. The other thing actually is is your points currency becomes more attractive, obviously, to your members because mm-hmm. suddenly, mm-hmm. boom, you've got an extra 10, 20, 30, however many new redemption partners and you know, in some markets that could translate into you going back to financial service companies and issuers and saying, you know, well, we're part of the alliance now. The currency is worth more, so we're going to readjust the rate that we charge you per point. Which, as everyone in the world knows, uh, loyalty programs are, can be hugely profitable. The valuation, how those metrics work, can be very favourable. And if you can increase the cost per point to banks in a way without willing to pay for it, without sacrificing volume, that could play very nicely in terms of valuation for the program. That valuation bump may well justify joining the alliance. Mm, interesting. So how does everything work behind the scenes? Like, for example, I have Qantas Platinum status. If I'm flying on British Airways and use a Cathay Pacific lounge and crediting the the frequent flyer points and status credits to Qantas, I mean, that's just one example, but like who's paying who for what? Like what's going on behind the scenes? I don't know how much you can talk about that, but um, yeah, it's, it's not something that most people would understand. Okay, so you picked the most complex possible option <laughs> to put me on the spot with here. Thanks, Matt. There's generally alliance agreements, like a fallback type of agreement that alliance will have um, in terms of how they bill each other for things. And then each airline may have their own separate agreement between them. Generally, the marketing carrier is the one that's going to make money from points. uh, That's like the flight number that you're on. So someone's paying them to put points in your account as status effectively. Um, Lounge depends on... On the airline, depends on the alliance. Some alliances, you know, class of travel trumps it. Sometimes if you're an economy, it might be the frequent flyer program that pays. In other alliances, it might be, look and be a little bit different where 
someone else is paying. This doesn't help. It depends. <laughs> is yeah. the re- is the real answer? There's a lot That's of options. Fair a lot of options, but you know what? For you and me and millions of other travelers, it really doesn't matter. We don't really care who's paying. All we care is we paid for our ticket, paid a lot of money, especially if you're flying today. And I don't care who's paying. I'm going into that lounge to relax because the airport's probably a nightmare. And I just want to sit down, chill out, get a drink before my next flight. And, you know, if airline A or airline B or the frequent flight, I don't really care who's paying at that point. It's just, you know, you want to, you know, hang out, relax. Um, you know, if you're in an airport where you're fortunate enough to go to two or three lounges, um, you know, the way I look at it these days is to put put the economics and the loyalty stuff aside. Most air travel is pretty expensive right now and airlines can afford this stuff. So, you know, they should be trying to improve the customer experience. And if that means you can go to a couple of lounges, so be it. You talked a little bit before about like the benefits to the airline of being part of an alliance in terms of attracting, you know, more more, more customers and, and better spending customers and things like that. But if, if an airline is not currently part of an alliance and thinking about joining, what are some of like the, the one-off costs involved in actually taking that step and becoming a member of the alliance? Like, is it, is it quite expensive? It can be. I mean, the bigger the airline, the more it's going to cost you. You've got, you just think about the the sort of capital expenditure you need. Like you've got to put logos everywhere so that means on every airplane you've got to put that little logo next to the door because there's a brand standard guideline that says you must have this logo of this size this many inches from the door and this kind of stuff you've got that you've got obviously you've got in-flight magazine that's going to have to have branding stuff in there and there's probably a couple pages requirement from the alliance to have stuff in there so you might be displacing ad revenue for example in that case, maybe just make the magazine bigger. You know? So you've got those kinds of things. Um, things like name badges of stuff. You maybe have a little logo next to it. You've got um, you know, the cost of just sort of integrating. You've got IT costs coming into it. You've got to negotiate a bunch of partnerships. Um, your collateral membership card. All these little physical things that you wouldn't really. It's quite a long checklist. There's a big cost there. And then, of course, there's a cost to to be part of it um, indirectly. And, um, you know, if you're just when you're part of Alliance, the bigger the brand you are, the more say, the more control slash power that you have within the Alliance and the smaller you are, the, the less you have. So that's why we see the Alliances that are at, like Sky Team effectively is Delta's Alliance. They're the biggest. They get the most say. Fair enough. They get the most voting power. Same in Wamold and, and Star where the big the big guys really call the shots and the smaller airlines you know they they're just going along for the ride um, they're going it for for different reasons than some of the big guys so it's an interesting dynamic i i i'm a big fan of alliances uh, two perspectives obviously you know it makes it more exciting um, if you work an airline you're part of it you can do more and you know if you work an airline suddenly you've got access to fly a lot more airlines which is kind of cool um, but from a consumer perspective obviously it just makes a lot more sense. You know, you know, like these quasi alliances like Virgin Australia's, you know, they've got these bunch of partnerships and they've all got different rules. If you fly Singapore Airlines, you get this. But if you fly this other airline, you don't get this. And it, it's, it is quite confusing, yeah. As a Velocity Gold or Platinum member, you get different benefits on different partners. Some some of the partners you get very few or no benefits. It's like in, in your view, like would it make sense for Virgin Australia to join an alliance? It's something that comes up a lot. I mean, I would if I were them. 
for a few different reasons, but um, I'm sure they're making their own decisions on where they go with that. I mean, they haven't, the thing is they haven't joined for the last, what, 20 years or, you know, 10, 10, 15 years since they rejigged Virgin Australia. So, you know, does that mean they won't? Maybe, who knows? I, I would like to see them join purely from a customer perspective, just, just so it's easy to understand. Forget about everything else, just easy to understand, legit competition in Australia. I, th- I would like that, but, you know, they, they do what they want to do. Hmm. If there's an a airline thinking about joining an alliance, do the other existing members get to vote on that? Like can someone veto or say, like, um, no, we don't want this airline or, or yes, we do want this airline? Like, Yeah, well, I mean, you, you, you generally need a sponsor. So you need one or two airlines to, you know, bring you into it and say we want this member because of these reasons. And it might be to protect competition in the market. It might be because of the geographical advantage for that. Um, and, you know, we've seen a bunch in One World the last couple of years. We've got Oman Air coming in next year, I believe. Royal Emerald came in a few years ago. Um, is uh, was it Fiji Airways? Is like Alliance Connect partner. Yeah, One World Connect. One and I think, Connect. I think I heard that Rwanda was considering joining One World. Yeah, I think Rwanda is coming in as well. So like, but Rwanda, Royal Maroc, they were sponsored by Qatar, obviously. Come in, and you know it's a bit, it's a bit of a market protection thing to shore up, you know, that those parts of the world where there's a bit of a gap in the alliance coverage. Uh, you think someone like Star Alliance, they they pretty much cover a lot of the world, not Australia. If you're listening to Australia, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's just about ultimately you want to keep people within in the family. So if you can keep people only flying one world or star, great. That that's really the end goal here. And you know, there's a lot of benefits with business travel and corporate contracts that come off the back of that. Obviously, there's the loyalty aspect, and really, I mean, just the ease to understand the program rules. Like anyone that's had has or had had Qantas status, it's dead simple to understand what you get on every one world carry. You know, if you've got gold slash sapphire, that you can go to the business class check-in. You can go to a business class international lounge. You can, there's going to be priority boarding that, and this is what it looks like. It's, it's so, it's so dead simple versus uh, even Star Alliance is a little quirky in at times, you know, you don't always get, uh, you know, a priority seat, for example, on the plane. Some, a lot of times you have to pay for seats. So there's things like that. I, I'm all, I'm a big fan of just making it easy for the consumer. That makes sense. And on, on the other end of the spectrum, like if there's an airline who's a, already a part of an alliance and then maybe decides they don't want to join, they don't want to be a part of that anymore, or maybe they get bought by a, another airline which is part of a different alliance, like how easy is it to leave an alliance? Has this happened? I guess we've got Latam. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, Latam left uh, One World a few years ago. China Southern left uh, Sky Team a few years ago as well. A lot of airlines leave alliances because they go bankrupt, to be honest. But there have been a few that are still around and, and have left. Yeah, interesting. I mean, when just looking at from a consumer perspective, and Latam left, you know, I think it was like the next day, Qantas comes out and says, oh, we've got an agreement with them. So, it, you know, the partnership continues, looks and feels a little different but it's still there. You can still earn points when you're flying. You can still get some benefits, uh, although it's slightly more restrictive. Yeah, so, I mean, 
not not all bad news when you leave. Um, China Sudden, that was an interesting one. I mean, they were rumored to join One World when that happened. There was a lot of media around. There you know, still is, uh, yeah, rumors about that. I've heard this recently that they they might be joining One World, or maybe they won't. Or it's probably the same article you've seen for the last four years. I've seen the same thing. It, well, I mean, also Qatar always is involved in them as well. So, an, an American, I believe. Yeah, they have so. a partnership with American Airlines. You can redeem advantage miles on China Southern. Yeah, so I mean, look at the airlines that Qatar always is involved with around the world. Uh, a lot of them are joined One World or part of it, and you know, Qatar pretty much controls One World at this point. So it wouldn't surprise me if China Southern did join at some point. I think it'd be interesting. You know, there is a bit of a gap in mainland China for One World. Cathay kind of covers some of it in a kind of weird way, but China is such a huge, especially domestically, it's such a huge market that they really need a local partner there. So it'd be good to see them pick up someone like that. It's been interesting in the last few years to see what's been going on between Qantas and Qatar Airways, both One World members. Um, I'm sure you've been been following it, but just for a bit of background for maybe some listeners who who haven't, like for a few years, Qatar Airways was restricting the business class reward seats available for Qantas frequent flyer members to book on its flights in and out of Australia, and then they they returned for a little bit. Um, but now, but the, the last year, then they they uh, started restricting the time in advance that Qantas frequent flyer members could book those seats, and it's now down to um, if you if you want to use Qantas points to book on Qatar Airways, you can only book business or first class up to three days before departure, or economy flights up to thirty days before departure. Uh, last year as well, we saw Qantas frequent flyer blocking its members from booking uh, uh, Qatar classic reward seats on their Adelaide to Auckland route. Uh, And then in February this year, Qantas frequent flyer changed its terms and conditions to say that you basically, it's it's worded differently to this, but basically to say that you can't earn uh, Qatar Airways Avios or Q points on Qantas domestic flights on routes where Virgin Australia also operates. And so it's a little little bit bizarre what's what's going on. uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, um, can can the two airlines coexist in one world and and still have you know their, their disagreements? Yeah, I think I think they should. Qatar's a big player and they control a lot of stuff. Um, in the big scheme of things, Qantas is quite small, so you know it makes sense for them to be friends, especially to cover Australia, which is a key market for Qatar. You know, it's probably. Internally, it's probably just a contractual dispute or something between the airlines on how they are looking at award seats. So it's it's probably something really simple like that in the background, you know. And then remember, you might remember in mid twenty twenty, Qatar did a status match. Um, they were matching velocity members. Oh yeah, a lot of AFF members got on board that and still have that status. They've extended it out to the end of twenty twenty three. Exactly, <laughs> exactly twenty twenty three. So that may or may not be a strategic move to do that. And, you know, Qatar's effectively got relationships with both Australian carriers at this point. So they're, they're the real winner here. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting dynamic that's playing out there. Um, you know, Qatar's got pretty strong interests in a lot of one world carriers. You know, Cathay Pacific, they've got their own chunk of Royal Amarok. they got, you know, sponsored them in, they're best friends with Malaysia Airlines, Oman Air they're bringing in, Rwanda they've got coming in, China Southern. Um, yeah, obviously, they own a big chunk of IAG, which is BA in Iberia. So um, I think it'll be interesting days, interesting days. 
um, with what how how this sort of plays out. But I think right now, you know, it's it's a pretty big win for Australians if you're doing anything with Qatar because you can fly any airline more or less domestically and get benefit from it with Qatar, especially if you do the status match that is still is it end of twenty three extended to. Yeah, they quietly, it was initially, I think, until the, well, if when I say initially, they've extended it out several times. Uh, until recently, it was until the 31st of March this year, I think. And then the, around that time, they quietly just extended everyone until the end of December. I don't think they even contacted the members to inform them, but there was definitely some posts on AFF about it. Three years of free status, not a bad deal. Not a bad deal at all. A few years ago, I think it was just before COVID, Delta came out. Delta's obviously one of the largest Sky Team members, and they came out and said, the Sky Team Alliance doesn't really work for us anymore. Alliances are kind of dead. And now, of course, they've now, they, they still are a part of, of Sky Team and they've just brought on board Virgin Atlantic, which I believe they own a part of. So so they um, they are still part of Sky Team. But uh, what, what do you think about, like, do you, like, because alliances have been around since like the late 1990s. Do you think they're still just as relevant today or, or, or more or less relevant? Probably less relevant for big carrier and more for small for okay. small airlines. So something like Delta is pretty huge. You know, at some point they go, well, what benefit is this really bringing us? Because they're, they're really strong in a bunch of markets, especially domestically. And I think we need to remember that <clears throat> most alliances are set up to serve its airline members, partner airlines, not the other way around. The alliances are going to serve Delta. It's Delta's alliance effectively. Um, whereas if you're a small Sky Team brand, you know, what, airline you you just you just along for the free ride well it's a paid ride it's an expensive ride <laughs> um so someone like tarom would get more out of it than delta yeah in in, in different ways yeah sure, the short answer is yes uh so when delta says they don't get value from it it could be i mean who knows it could even be some political game where they're just trying to get more power to do something you know, or, or, you know, go their own direction or trying to change a rule. You know, Delta's been changing lounge access rules this year. They they re- changed that, which if if you could look at it, on read between the lines, it, it kind of looks like they're trying to not let elites go into the lounge at all. And so, you know, it's all about credit cards and class of travel. Yeah, that was that was a really interesting one. I think I might have mentioned this on another podcast this year, but Delta um, status no longer gets you into the lounge on economy international flights, and certainly not on domestic flights. And, but if you have a, an Amex co-branded credit card, you can use the lounges. So really interesting, kind of the opposite of what we see in most other places. Yeah, and this from a consumer perspective, do you really want this to trickle down through the alliance to the smaller carriers? Because remember, it's it's effectively Delta's alliance so if delta does this the next airline goes well if delta does it we'll do as well and suddenly before you know it every airline if you're if you've got top tier status in your economy you don't get lounge access is that is that the way of the future i hope not because i you've certainly got hope status, not as well just from a personal perspective yeah totally i mean everyone listening doesn't want to lose it it's a great it's a great benefit if you've got top status now and presumably you're spending 10 20 30 50 you know have thousands of dollars you're in the top percentage of members that they have and you probably have a choice of who you fly and where you fly, where you spend your money. And like like we see, there's a huge demand for status matching, right? It's only ever gone up, to be fair, since we sort of came along. 
Um, there's huge demand out there. And I think airlines need to realize that, you know, if you go annoying your top customers to the point where, you know, I, they could just switch effect, you know, with ease, um, they will. They will. They do. We see it. People are very open to trying new brands these days, especially with prices so high. You know, there's a there's a threshold of what you might be willing to pay with your favorite airline. And if that is double or triple what you you feel comfortable paying, you're like, well, it's easy to justify flying someone else because like, well, I'm going to save X thousand dollars and that makes more sense. How can I now maximize that purchase with a new brand? I get a status match. I try it out. I go, jeez, this is a not as bad as I thought it was with the other airline. I get more perks. I like, I like you, st- you start justifying yourself why I like it. And you're then looking at the loyalty program for the first time, probably seriously for the first time in your life. And it's like, well, hey, this loyalty program is not too bad. And I get this benefit, this benefit. And the, the manager said hello on this flight. They did not on my other airline. And, and this airline's got really good priority boarding and my other airline doesn't. And suddenly you're, you're justifying yourself why you need to you know, try this new brand a little more. So that's why we see status managers being ultra effective in today's world, just because of the dynamics of the market and prices are so high and people are more open to exploring new ideas anyway. Yeah, so it just goes to show if you're an airline and you're thinking about gutting your frequent flyer program benefits, like people do have options. So there, there is a bit of competitive uh competitive consideration there. Um, you mentioned priority boarding. Why, like priority boarding is, as you know, like if you think about the status benefits, lounge access is a lot, is very important to a lot of people. Um, things like, you know, better access, accessibility to upgrades, things like that. But priority boarding is a benefit that, few airlines do very well but um people value them quite highly like quite value that benefit of being able to get on the plane first quite highly why is that why is it so important so in some markets it's it's you just you need to get on early if you want a bag above you in the overhead lockers so there's a heap of especially the us that's a big deal so you want you need to be in group one effectively <laughs> two maybe to <laughs> to kind of get on there you know airlines yeah. we, we saw it was an article recently about Airlines in Australia, Qantas, you know, rejigging their whole boarding process, and you know the optimal, mm-hmm. like scientifically, the best way to board is from like window seats first, and then sort of w- working into the aisle, so in, in the back to the front, this kind of thing. I mean, the reality is that that might work, but if you're a frequent flyer, you want to get them on first. They understand how things work. They understand where their seat is. They know they just they're just more efficient at getting on board. And if they spend more, they're more loyal. You, you extend that to them. Um, so, you know, priority boarding in that sense is is really a must-have. Uh, you know, you probably saw I put a post on LinkedIn last week about A&A and their, their boarding process. And I find A&A a fascinating airline, really Yeah, that, that was a really interesting example. What did A&A do? So I've had a handful of flights with them recently. And on every flight, um they they have a like first class and diamond members that's like the the first group to board and on every flight i was on there's no first class so it's really diamond members and diamond on a and a is pretty hard to achieve so you know you're at the gate you're lining up and you know calling all diamond members to board and there's no one in the line <laughs> it's empty the business class line is huge you know the General boarding is huge, and there's no one in the line. They're caught. Any diamond members, diamond members, please come forward. Like there was a good two, three minutes of just them calling it, and then silence. 
And I'm looking, I'm like, this is fantastic. This is a giant advertisement for diamond status. If you're a diamond, you get to go right now. And they made a big deal out of it. Deliberately holding up everyone else for this two or three, maybe it's part of their process and how they do things. This is a Japanese airline. Very efficient. They're always on time. Like they, they, they know how to do this properly. There's, you know, other airlines could definitely learn a few things here. And then, you know, then after those two minutes, then only now we're boarding business class. And, you know, that's half the airplane. Uh, I just thought it was fantastic. Done really well, really right. And this is not one or two occasions. This is, I've seen this for the last five or six years on A&A. This is something they've had pre and post COVID. I just love it. It's it's just a giant advertisement for status and it gets it recognizes your most important people. And if you've got status, that's ultimately what you want. You want the recognition. Um, so I, I think more islands could learn from that. It's not just about cramming up, getting people on board as fast as possible. Yeah, you need to get them on board. But if you go neglecting your top members by, you know, you've got someone that flies once a year, they're on the cheapest economy ticket, probably a points ticket, they're on that ticket. And then you've got you that does 100 sectors only business class and they've got the same benefits as you boarding the airplane. At some point you go, well, what benefit am I really getting? Why, why not I just drop down and start? It doesn't really matter anymore, does it? Mm. And that, like, there's a lot of posts all the time on AFF uh, about well, both both Qantas and Virgin sort of not doing priority boarding that well lately. Like, is that is that somewhat damaging to the status proposition? Yeah, I think so. It's training it's, it's training people to not bother with status. It's training people just to buy the cheapest. To, if I get the same benefits having no status, why do I need to to bother with this? So, um, you know. Like, other airlines around the world can get this. They just totally nail it. They're still on time to purchase. They've still got their 35-minute turnaround on aircraft. They've still got all this kind of stuff. They can still manage that. Why can't Why can't Qantas and Virgin? I mean, Qantas, you know, I've, I've seen these Qantas threads for probably the last 15 years <laughs> domestically. It's not a new thing that they're going through. Virgin used to do it really well mm. in, what, 2010, 11, 12, up to about 15 or so. They did it really, really well, and then something sort of changed there. Yeah, they, they still do it quite well, though. Like, I, I found it's generally pretty good, but they made some changes recently where they board both lines at the same time rather than getting everyone in the priority queue process first. Yeah, that's just silly because then you get weird. both at the same time. You go down the jet bridge and you're, still, you're in a big long line again. You know, get the priority people down there. They know how things work. They're, they're far more efficient than non-status holders generally. And getting on the aircraft, get them in, get them seated, get them happy, make sure they get their overhead bin space, get them settled, and then bring everyone else on. Otherwise, you're just training people not to bother. I wanted to ask you as well, you, you made a post on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum recently. For, for those who aren't familiar, your, your handle is Trip in the Rift on, on AFF, so um, you can have a look at Mark's post under that, under that username. But um, it was about Qantas lifetime status, and you had a really interesting idea on how Qantas can change its lifetime status program to make it a bit more attractive and also to retain people once they get to lifetime gold what was that about well if you so i've been on aff for uh, 15 years or so and in that time meeting a lot of people talking to people on the forum working in industry it's pretty clear that there's a big chunk of folks that when they hit lifetime status when i say lifetime i mean gold or platinum they they disconnect 
the the incentive to continue really goes away, mainly because the lifetime platinum is so unachievable for almost everyone. So once you hit lifetime gold, it's I've got my back pocket. I'm not going to try anymore. And at that point, what happens is actually you're actually de-incentivized to fly to 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 earn status credits because you've got your gold every year. So no matter what you do, you're gold for life. So what it really means, if if you were trying to get to platinum from zero status credits to if you weren't platinum, so what was platinum? Fourteen hundred. Uh, yeah, fourteen hundred for the first year, twelve hundred yeah. to renew. Yeah. So effectively, from zero to thirteen ninety status credits is entirely wasted effort because you're gold anyway. You're going to keep unless you get definitely going to get your fourteen hundred or your twelve hundred for the next year. You you you're better off doing something else. You're better off booking based on price with a different airline or network or another loyalty program or just use points or you're better off doing something else than even bothering to try to earn status because because the 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 barrier is too high for status so uh alaska airlines made a bunch of change or announced a bunch of changes to their lifetime program where they effectively give lifetime status holders a head start every year so in let's put this in the terms of what Qantas could do if they gave lifetime gold status holders 600 status credits to start every year because they've they got gold anyway. So Yeah, so that's what you'd normally need to renew gold status. Yeah, so just give yeah. you that every year. And so You've got gold status anyway. You're going to get it next year. Like that's going to yeah, get exactly. it anyway. Don't, yeah. don't, it doesn't, don't count it towards lifetime, platinum, fine. But it then gives you a real incentive for folks to get to platinum or platinum one. Now... I can hear everyone saying, but that'll just, all the people that have it and earn platinum today, that's just make it easy for them to get platinum and people will spend less. I can hear you, Qantas people listening through the podcast here. And the thing is, I think that is true probably 10 years ago. Run the I would like someone to run the numbers and report back to me. <laughs> but my guess is this. <laughs> this is an educated guess. There's so many people with lifetime gold now because over, over the years, there's only ever more and more people that get there. It does, the number doesn't go down. Gen, I mean, less people die, but it generally doesn't go down. So this, I, my guess is there's so many people in that group now that are de-incentivized that it makes sense to incentivize them versus the people that you think you're giving more away to that are not in that group. So I think the dynamic has probably changed somewhere in the last five, ten years where it's probably overall more beneficial for the airline to give the upfront status credit boost than not give it just because of the number of people that could spend up or could re-engage or could do something else um, to get there. I mean, I, I'm a great example. I, my 30th birthday present to myself was lifetime gold. I did a bit of a status run right at the end just to get across the line. And, you know, that was a decade ago. And, you know, I've effectively de-incentivize to fly Qantas for the next, you know, what, I've got a good 30 years of flying in me. You know, it's good. that's one example. You know, everyone's got their own story. There's a lot of people on AFF that get to lifetime gold on Qantas and they, they still continue flying One World Airlines, but then they start crediting everything to British Airways and again going for lifetime British Airways gold, which is the same as, I guess, lifetime platinum on Qantas. Right. I, I, we spoke about this last time. That's right. Um, if you were to... If you're a lifetime goal with Qantas today and you want to get to lifetime platinum, that delta, the increase you would have to do in status credits 
you're actually better off stopping, starting from zero with British Airways to get to Lifetime Gold with them, which is Lifetime Emerald, same as Qantas's Lifetime Platinum. You're actually better off stopping Qantas entirely and starting from scratch from BA because it's easier, faster, and probably cheaper to do that than it is to go from Lifetime Gold to Lifetime Platinum with Qantas. Yeah. So it's an, in- it's an interesting idea for sure. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you as well about, um, obviously, you the CEO of StatusMatch.com. How, how's everything going with, uh, with StatusMatch.com and what, what's happening on the world of status matching? Yep. Uh, so a few developments since we last spoke about this. Um, a bunch of new brands were, were brought on board into our ecosystem, officially and unofficially. Um, the demand, the number of people interested in status match in general obviously is off the charts right now. There's a few things driving that. Obviously, it costs more to travel. People are more open to trying a new brand, and but they don't want to start from the beginning. They want the match. They want the gold, the platinum status straight off the bat so they can get the perks while trying a new brand. So there's a lot of that. Beginning of this year, we saw less on Australia, but internationally the, the status cliff or the downgrade tsunami, I called it, which is basically the tens of millions of people around the world with airline hotel status that were uh, being downgraded for the first time in three years after mm. the free COVID extensions. And so, you know, it's North America, this number was off the charts, um, you know, tens of millions of people being downgraded, losing status. There's, there's double counting there because you might have status with two brands, but still a huge, 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 huge shift. Um, and that has been driving demand for matching as well. And uh, we're obviously taking full advantage of that, riding on the back of it. The, actually, the biggest winners here are the low-cost airlines, especially with the you know economy, different places around the world. Folks, you know, a little bit less money to spend, but they still want to travel. Plus, it just costs more on legacy carries anyway. So low-cost airlines are a good alternative. Um, so people for the first time are like, so in the US, for example, we work with both Spirit and Frontier and they've obviously seen a huge boon off the back of matching as people go, well, I, I, I can't justify 2000 bucks for my Delta or United trip anymore. Um, and then they look at Spirit and go, well, okay, it's, you know, it's, it's a hundred bucks, but I've got to pay for everything. So I've got to pay for the bags. I've got to pay for the seat. I've got to pay for the carry-on. I've got to pay for, I've got to pay for everything. But still, it works out way cheaper. And Spirit, for example, have a thing called a big front seat, which is kind of like first class. It's, it's, like, it's like a more well, business class. Well, it's literally it. a big front seat, isn't it? It's a big front seat. It's there, the, the difference between once you check all the ancillary boxes to have the best possible experience, you're probably way ahead of where you would be in terms of price. You can have a similar experience on board. And if you've got a status match to them, happy days. You're not, you're not going to pay for a bunch of those things anyway. You're not going to pay for the seat, the bag, the priority boarding, the, you get free drink as well, these kinds of things. So suddenly, financially, you're ahead as well. So we're seeing, definitely seeing a trend where low-cost airlines are picking up a bunch of old legacy traffic that they wouldn't have been able to get because most folks, and I guess listening as well, if you say, if you're a, you're a Qantas or a Virgin person your whole life and you say, hey, let's go fly a low-cost down, it's like, well, I wouldn't ever do that. Why would I do that? But in the US, like where they actually have good loyalty programs for the low-cost airlines, they give you the gold status. And it's like, it's actually not a bad experience. It's not as, mm. not as bad as you think it is. So yeah. they're, they're picking up a bunch off the back of that for sure. 
Are there any low-cost airlines in our region that have similar sort of loyalty programs to Frontier or Spirit where you get like actual benefits, like status benefits? Not, not really. AirAsia is probably yeah. the closest thing, but yeah. there's, it's mostly a points benefit on the back of that. I, th- I always thought that Jetstar should really do something. They should go aggressive in Singapore or someone like that, start their own loyalty. Why not, right? Like Qantas Frequent Flyer outside Australia is zero. Like no one, no one really cares. It's it's big in Australia and does really well. Kudos, but outside of you know, it's just it's just less relevant. Just because the network isn't there, I'd I'd kind of like to see Jetstar do something just a little different because they can. Um, <laughs> personal figure. Um, but uh, no, in terms of statusmatch.com, heap of stuff coming. Um, obviously, there's opportunities on Go Evergreen offers directly through through our site. We do status matches for Emirates, obviously. Um, there's opportunities where you can apply for stuff like Avis, Best Western, Choice, Radisson, Spirit Frontier, Sixth Car Rental, um, Sri Lankan. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to put them on the spot here, trying to remember. There's about not all guaranteed when you apply. Some some are subject to the approval of the other brand. Some are uh, we do the approvals. Um, but generally, it's a really fast, seamless experience. You know, some brands we work with, you get status within, you know, hours or a day kind of things pretty quick. Some take a little longer. Um, but, you know, what what we've seen is a um, bunch of these loyalty brands um, approach us to help with status matching. Airlines especially tend to do a fairly poor job at this. Um, they think challenges are the way forward. They're not. Um, and airlines generally... Uh, pretty good in the home market less so in other markets so i mean we don't work with Qantas, but i'm putting this in a Qantas context so we can understand in australia maybe new zealand pretty strong don't really need help there in terms of customer acquisition but in you know what's what's Qantas like in japan or south korea or india where it's probably not on the top 10 airlines that people would consider flying and so you know, offering status match opportunities for people that live in those countries can make a lot of sense. And it acts like a, um, almost like a new sales channel in, in some ways for the brands over there where they've got, they might have a brand team there, corporate sales teams that are going and trying to sign up com- corporate contracts. So this status matching in, in the non-core home markets is is a definitely growing thing we're seeing with airlines. And so... You know, if you're looking for a quantum status match and you live in Australia, it's probably not going to happen. But if, you know, your Indian residency and Air India status, maybe there's an opportunity in the future. Who knows? Mm. Um, I, know, I know Qantas does have their own sort of status challenge. It's not a published thing, but if, if you if you contact them, they may offer you on a case-by-case basis like a, a challenge to earn a certain number of status credits within 90 days and and get gold, I think, or something something like that. Um, but that, that's obviously something that's a little bit different to what you guys are doing. Um, are, are there any uh, new promotions coming out soon that might be of interest to Australians that you're able to share with, with Status Match? Yeah, there are a few coming out over the next few months. Um, the big one that might be interesting to some Australians is Latam Airlines. We work with them, have for a long time. They're launching something more interesting. Um they have said that I can share this. So, you know, that, that is something coming soon there um, that will be available to folks in Australia that uh, have qualifying eligibility for it. Um, 
Would there be uh, a fee for that? Yeah, there's, there's always fees. Uh, fees for status matching are really interesting. Um, from a if you're if you work for an airline, you're listening. By the way, um, fees are a game changer. <laughs> Obviously, that means we can work with you um, easier. Uh, what it means is there's money for marketing to drive promotions. Well, that's a big. Thing. It also suppresses demand. So, folks that are you know just doing it opportunistically, they've got one flight. Um, they want the status just to get benefits off the one flight. Fee may not be worth it for them to to do it, which is actually a good thing for the for the airline because they don't really want these people because it. Um, so there's a bit of a tractor. It brings in a high quality clientele, which is exactly what the airlines and hotels want. Like it's not about giving an out like candy to everyone and then hoping about. I mean that that's kind of the old way of looking at it. Um, the new the fee is kind of one of about five different smarts behind it that make it work. Um, another thing is speed. You know, you need people need to be upgraded really fast. You know, there's some airlines that say like two, three, four weeks to get upgraded. Like this, if if you get apply for status from brand now and you get upgraded in three weeks, you've forgotten about that airline already. You've already booked. You're a frequent flyer, remember? You've already booked five tickets in that time. They got they're gone. They're dead. So. Speed to upgrade is a huge thing. Um, obviously, there's a you know fraud element to this. You know, filtering that out. Fraud is pretty significant in status matching, and airlines want to weed that out. And so, there's a bunch of checks they really need to be doing around that. That can have major financial cost implications. We spoke about lounges earlier. Um, that has big implications if you get the wrong person in that's doing stuff obviously status gets sold online on ebay and taobao and stuff like that and so synthetic identities come into this stuff i mean this is stuff that no one's ever really thought about i mean obviously we are the experts in this space and that's why we we run status match on behalf of a bunch of brands to protect them from the the, the world out there <laughs> there's a sadly there's just a lot of bad actors most people are really honest and genuine about it but because the, there's such a significant amount of unsavory activity out there, they just they just need more protection around it, and that's what we provide around that, the marketing element. And to your original point on fees, um, when there's a fee, that solves a bunch of those things, but also means that we can work with them in a way where I mean we got to make money as well. So that's how that's how we make our money on those on those things. So it, it ends up being a pretty good relationship um, once. You know, you put all that together and think about it. if you're paying a fee for it, you're going to use it. Mm. That's ultimately what the airline wants. They want you to fly them. Yeah, it's a bit like like many of the subscription models, even even the, like, like the Woolworths Everyday Extra thing. If you're paying a fee to to get double points and um, the other things you get with Everyday Extra, you're probably going to shop at Woolworths more often. Just little, little things like that. There's a bunch of airline subscription models as well that I've seen. Like TAP has them, Emirates has them, Club Jetstar, um, yeah, no, it it makes sense. It locks um, you in to the brand in a in a new way. It's it's self selection lock in. It, it's very effective. I'm not I'm not convinced on subscriptions entirely, but um, some of this stuff can be very effective. Do you have any final uh, loyalty program or airline industry observations for 2023, Mark? Um, you know, I think if we look back at the last 20 years or so. 10, 20 years, I really don't think airline loyalty programs have changed that much. There's been new things here and there, new tiers, new partners, burn partners, there's new credit cards. But the core structure 
for most program hasn't changed in decades. It was a, it was a set and forget. You know, they created the program. Here's the rules. Here's what it looks like. They launch it. Seems to work pretty effectively. We're making money. Check does does really well. I kind of wonder in today's world if some of those old structures still serve the airline or hotel in and the customer in the same way that it did all those years ago. Today, people have more choice of who they fly and with price barriers effectively locking some people out of flying with their favorite brand, they're open to trying someone new and we've seen this countless times over and over and over. Um, I, I just kind of, plus a lot of people being downgraded this year, more than ever before in history of, of, of travel. Uh, I, I feel like we're on the, could be on the cusp of something interesting and special here. And what I mean by that is maybe I, th- I think now is probably the right time for loyalty brands to start reimagining what their loyalty businesses can look like moving forward. Not, not the credit card point stuff, but the status side of it. Status drives ticket sales and room nights. It's far more effective doing that than points and miles are. Um, status holders generally is 5% or so well, of an airline's customers, but they can contribute anywhere between you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% of total revenue for the brand. So these are the right type of members. And I wonder if there's a way to increase these numbers in ways that works in today's world that may not have worked 5, 10, 20 years ago when these programs were first developed. So I'm quietly optimistic that we're going to see a, a big change in the industry. Uh, it might start with one brand, one small brand. It might start with, oh gosh, Delta, who knows? Who knows? I think it's going to start somewhere and they're going to see it and they go, huh, that's a smart way to do it. We never thought about that. And then there'll be a bit of a wave where everyone copies it. But, you know, that'll take a couple of years to, for, to sort of trickle down. And then that will open the minds of other loyalty managers and go, well, why don't we do this instead? Why don't we do this? And I think ultimately where we want to get to is these programs need to be interesting. They need to be engaging. And it feels to me in the industry as a whole, not much has changed. And people clearly want to try something new. They want to see, they want to engage with an, an exciting brand. They want to they want to try something new. They want to try new. Th- it's just about new, 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 new. There's a demand for new. We see it everywhere. And I feel that the first brand that really jumps on the new is going to capitalize on something that could bring a bit of the magic back to loyalty programs again. Interesting. Well, on that note, Mark Ross-Smith, thank you so much for joining me again on the AFF on Air podcast and all the best. Cheers, Matt. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Well, that's just about all for this episode of AFF On Air. Before I go, I unfortunately have to let you know that we're going to be pausing the podcast for a little while while I work on some other projects with AFF. Uh, I'll keep you updated in the AFF On Air discussion thread, but this does mean that there'll be a bit of a gap between now and the next episode. In the meantime, you can still, of course, stay up to date with the latest frequent flyer news and tips by reading the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum and, of course, subscribing to the Gazette newsletter, which will continue to be put out twice a week. 
I'll also still be hosting regular webinars where I get the chance to go on a really deep dive into a topic and share lots more useful tips and strategies to travel better for less. And those webinars are interactive, which means you can also ask me questions. The next webinar, if you're interested, will be at 8pm on Wednesday, the 5th of July. And in that webinar, I'll show you how to find award availability using the best available online tools. And of course, this is an audio-visual medium, which means I can actually um, show you live demonstrations on how to actually use those websites. Um, and, and there's a lot, a lot more that I can do in that format. That webinar will be held over at our sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. And you can learn more or register for the webinar by going to frequentflyer.com.au or clicking on the link in the show notes for this podcast. Until next time, though, thanks for listening. May the Upgrade Fairy smile on you, and I wish you lots of happy and safe travels. 